0: Ecclesiastes chapter chapter 4 verse 9 through 12. Two are better than one because they have a good return for the labor. If either of them falls down, one can help the other up. But pity anyone who falls and has no one to help them up. Also, if two lie down together, they will keep warm. But how can one keep warm alone? though one may be overpowered two can defend themselves a cord of three strands is not quickly broken 1 corinthians chapter 3 verse 4 through 11 for when one says i follow paul and another i follow apollos are you not mere human beings what after all is apollos And what is Paul? Only servants through whom you came to believe, as the Lord has assigned to each his task. I I planted the seed, Apollos watered it, but God has been making it grow. So neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything, but only God who makes things grow. The one who plants and the one who waters have one purpose. They will each be rewarded according to their own labor. For we are co-workers in God's service. You are God's field, God's building. By the grace God has given me, I laid a foundation as a wise builder, and someone else is building on it. But each one should build with care. For no one can lay any foundation other than the one already laid, which is Jesus Christ.
1: Amen. Thank you, Huntington. I really enjoy uh, Holy Week, you know, remembering how Jesus uh, rode into Jerusalem on a donkey in fulfillment of a prophecy that was written hundreds of years before the event, Zechariah nine. And then uh, we remember the Last Supper, and we're going to do that this week. You know, with the Living Last Supper, and we'll have communion together. And the African church, uh, they're holding uh, a Good Friday service from noon till 3. The reason why it's from noon to 3 is because that's how long he hung on the cross. I remember my mother always took me to those Good Friday services. They were so long. And, but I, that, I'm going to go to the whole thing today. They're having seven preachers to preach on. Uh, the seven last words of the cross. It'll be great. And then Sunday morning, uh, the youth are going to help lead us in a sunrise service. I I hope the upstairs is just full um, as we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. We do it every Sunday, but especially uh, Easter Sunday and we'll have breakfast together and uh, a couple worship service opportunities. But, you know, we call this Passion Week. You know, remember the movie, The Passion of Christ, and I just pray that God gives me more passion for him, more passion for the gospel. Amen? Amen. Well, We've been talking about uh, community uh, these last weeks, 40 days of community. We've been talking about reaching out together and belonging together and growing together. Today, uh, we want to talk about serving together. And So how do you serve God? How do I serve God? You serve God by serving other people. That's the only way you can really serve God. You serve God by serving other people. And God wants to use you in ways that you've never expected. You say, what do I have to offer? You have something, but you don't have enough on your own. And that's why you need other people in your life. That's why you need the church, the body of Christ. God wants to use you, but he also wants to use you in a team. You know, together, everyone achieves more. Remember that acrostic? Team, together, everyone achieves more. Together is always better. And the Bible often compares being together in ministry or serving together or making a difference in the world to gardening. It's like the verse that Huntington just read in 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 8. It says, the one who plants and the one who waters work as a team with the same purpose. I mean, there is something about a team. Ecclesiastes, it says, two are better than one. A cord of three strands is not easily broken. You probably have some very fond memories of, of, of team sports. I know I do, wrestling, you know, or being in the, in the choir together, or being on the chess team together, or a craft team, or the cheerleading squad, or maybe some of you were in the Army, the Navy, the Air Force, or the Marines, uh, something like that. A lot of people have fond memories in their lives of some team that they were on. In fact, that's why a lot of people go back to, like, different reunions that they have throughout the year. It was a time they were actually part of the team that they felt most alive. God wired us that way. We feel most alive when we're part of a team that's actually doing something. Teams cause us to get closer teams help us get things done and also to have more fun. The fastest way to get close to each other is by actually serving together, not just eating donuts together or socializing together or even studying together, as important as those things are. It's by serving together. And what does it take to build a team? That's what I want to look at this morning. I think you can apply this in a lot of different ways. I mean, if you have a group of friends and you'd like to turn them into a team of friends, here's what it involves. It involves four things. If you have a family or if you're married and you'd like to make your marriage stronger, you build it on on these four things that we're gonna talk about. If you'd like to increase the team spirit at your office or where you work, uh, these are the four things that you need to do. And if you'd like to uh, make your church a little closer or your small group a little closer together, and serve together. This is what you need to do. These four things, and we're going to do the acrostic, only it's not together, everyone achieves more. It's a different acrostic. Same letters, though. First one is T, and it stands for trust. Trust. Trust is the emotional glue that draws you closer to your friends and to your family and To your church friends and to your small group. Without trust, you're never going to have the intimate relationship that God wants you to have. It's the emotional glue that holds and creates a team. Teamwork without trust is impossible. Michael Jordan was just one person, but you know what? He was a great player, but he was just part of a team, and the name of that team was the Chicago Bulls. They three-peated in the 90s. Do you remember that, you old-timers? The Chicago Bulls. Yeah, Michael was great, but he was on a team. Both Jesus and Paul traveled with other people all the time. They were always a part of a team. They never ministered anywhere by themselves. They are our model. You should always have a team when you're serving God. You know, we have an outreach team, we have a praise team, we have a finance team, we have a trustee team. One of Paul's team members was a guy named Timothy. In fact, Uh, In Timothy 1, 1 Timothy 6.20, he says, Timothy, guard what has been entrusted to your care. There's that word, entrusted or trust. It involves trust. To build a team, here's the first step. You have to share the responsibility. One of the best things I think I've done is to share some responsibilities this year. I asked Zach and Lindsay Ernst and Jana Bonico to lead the praise team. One of the best things I've ever done. Or to have different people be involved in prayer, besides always having the preacher pray on Sunday morning. Or to have somebody help with part of my message, you know, a point of the message. We call them circuit riders to involve more people. And you have to share the responsibility, you have to let other people do it. And to let other people do some of the work, you have to trust them. And Paul says, Timothy, I want you to guard what has been entrusted. To your care. Share the responsibility. Anybody knows a a quarterback can't pass to himself. If you're going to win the game, you have to pass the ball to somebody else. You have to hand the ball off to somebody else. There are very few times that a quarterback gets to run it in himself. Most of the time, he's handing the ball off. I mean, that's his job. Proverbs 20, verse 6, it says, Many people claim to be loyal, but it's hard to find a trustworthy person. That's interesting. That was written thousands of years ago, and it's the same human dilemma today. Who do you trust? How do you know who to trust? How do you find a trustworthy person? More important than that, let me ask you a question. How do you become a trustworthy person so that people trust you? I mean, if you want to become a trustworthy person, I think you need to do at least three things. Number one, you earn people's trust by being consistent, Have you noticed that people hate surprises? Uh, They don't want you to be acting one way this time and then acting another way another time. They want you to be predictable. They want you to be consistent. The Bible tells us that God wants us to learn to be consistent in serving him, and then he, he, he trusts us and other people will trust us. The Bible says in Luke chapter 16, verse 10, whoever can be trusted with a very little can also be trusted with much. Today, everybody wants to serve God, you know, in big ways. I want to have a big ministry, you know, spectacular ways, in the obvious ways, in the showy ways. But God says you build trust by being faithful, by being trustworthy in the little things, the things that nobody sees. You say, nobody's watching me when I do that. No, but God is. Character is built not in the big things that you do. Character is built in the little things that you do, that nobody ever sees, but God sees. And God says, if you're faithful in these little things, I will give you greater responsibility because you've been faithful in the little things. So be consistent. Secondly, be confidential. You know, people trust you when you can keep a secret. People trust you when, you know, they tell you something, they kind of unload or unburden themselves. They unload something on you and then don't go around and spread it all over the place, you know. Don't don't go talking to everybody else about what they shared with you. They've trusted you. Proverbs 11:13 says, "A gossip betrays a confidence, but a trustworthy man keeps a secret." The third thing if you want people to trust you is not only be consistent, not only be confidential, but be close. You have to spend time with people in order to earn their trust. You don't trust people you don't know. I mean Proverbs 17:17 17, 17, uh, one version says, a friend loves at all times and a brother is born for adversity. Another version says, friends love through all kinds of weather and family stick together in all kinds of trouble. I like that version, stick together. That implies proximity. It says you're close. It says you're together. You stick together. Distance actually creates distrust. And when you're distant from people, you start being distrustful of them, And you don't trust people you don't know, and so if you want people to trust you, you've gotta spend some time with them. Time actually creates trust. Or another way you could say it is trust takes time. Either way, it takes time to build trust. Trust takes time. Notice it says you learn trust through all kinds of weather. It takes a long time sometimes to build trust. Question, can you lose your trust quickly? Oh yeah. Yeah, you can lose it uh, in a second but it can take months, maybe even years to build it. Trust takes time and you can't grow trust quickly. And I think our world desperately needs trustworthy people. These are people whom God can count on and we can count on to actually be the hands and the feet and the body of Christ. The second key to teamwork is empathy, not only T for trust, but E for empathy. That's the E in the team. And it takes empathy. The Bible tells us in 1 Peter 3 8, live in harmony with one another and be sympathetic. Live in harmony with one another and be sympathetic. You can't have the first without the second. You're never going to live in harmony with your wife or your husband or your friends or anybody else without sympathy. You can't have harmony without sympathy. And you can't have a team without being aware of what's going on in each other's lives. It's more than just working on a project together. You have to be aware of each other. And that's why when people work together in an office, they may be working, but they're not a team unless they know what's going on in each other's lives. You have to have empathy. Empathy is so important because it meets the two of your deepest needs. First, you have a fundamental need to be understood. I mean, everybody in life Wants to have another person, one other person in life who says, you know what? You know, they they understand me. They know me. They understand what I'm thinking. You have a need to be understood. Everybody does. And second, you have a, a deep need, a human need to have your feelings validated. You need somebody in your life who says, you know, you're not weird. You're not crazy. You're not a kook. You know, it's okay to feel that way. That's normal. Everybody wants to be understood and have their feelings validated by somebody else, and that's what empathy does. It meets those two deep needs. So how do you build empathy? I think the the first step to empathy is just to slow down. I mean, James chapter 1, verse 19, be quick to listen and slow to speak. I mean, there's a reason we have two ears and one mouth, you know, and so we need to slow down and listen to people Listen to your husband, listen to your wife, listen to your kids, listen to the people in your small group, listen to people in the church. That brings me to the next way to be empathetic. Not only need to slow down, but you should ask questions. You know, like, how are you doing? You know, what's going on in your life? That's how to show empathy to your children and to your spouse and to anybody else. Just ask them questions. Proverbs 20, verse five, it says, a person's thoughts are like water in a deep well, but someone with insight can draw them out. Someone with insight can draw them out. You have to draw it out of people if you want to be empathetic. The third thing, not only slow down and ask questions, but show emotions. That's how you empathize with people. You show emotions. I mean, we said it a few weeks ago, Romans twelve fifteen. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Empathy is a lot more than saying, I'm sorry that you hurt. Empathy is saying, you know, I hurt with you. You know, you're willing to cry with them. You're willing to weep with those who weep. You're willing to rejoice with those who rejoice. How do you do that? There's only one way that you're going to be empathetic, and that's to stay filled with the Holy Spirit. It's to stay filled up with God. That's the only way. If your tank gets empty of God, you're not going to be empathetic to anybody. So if you get low on God, if you get low on the Holy Ghost, you're not going to be empathetic at all. You've got to stay filled with the Holy Spirit, filled up with God. The third key to building a team, not only trust for T and E for empathy, but A for accommodation it takes trust i mean you got to build trust between each other to have a team like in the church or in a small group it takes empathy but it also takes accommodation i mean we're all different what does accommodation mean you know we got the privilege of being a part of karen moes wedding this last weekend over in minneapolis and you know somebody uh, accommodated us with a motel room you know we were accommodated a room to stay overnight friday night when you make accommodation for somebody, it means you get them a room, you know? You get them a room at a hotel or a motel. You give them a room at your house to accommodate somebody it means that you give them some space. That means you have to accommodate people in a lot of different ways. But you have to make accommodations for people if you're gonna have a team because God made us all different. And the Bible says this in 2 Timothy two twenty two. One version says, be, uh, flee evil desires, flee the evil desires of youth and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace along with those who call on the name of the Lord. Another version says, be faithful, loving, and easy to get along with. Now, that's one you should put on your refrigerator. You know, be, be, be faithful and loving and easy to get along with. You know, I'm not asking you if you think you're easy to get along with. I want to know what other people say about you, if you're easy to get along with. I mean, would the people closest to you say that you're easy to get along with? You know, what is that? It's accommodation. You know, Romans 12, 18, it says, if it's possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with others. Another version says, do your part to live in peace with everyone as much as it's possible. Verse it says, do your part. You know, I like that because obviously you have a part and everybody else has a part too. And if they don't do their part, it's not gonna happen no matter how much you do your part. It says as much as it is possible. Aren't you glad that God put that in there? (laughs) Even God realizes that there are some people that are unpleasable. Just plain unpleasable. No matter how hard, no matter how much you try to get along with them, you know, it's, it's their hang-up. No matter how nice you are, it's their hang-up. But he says, as much as possible, you be account- accommodating. There are a number of different ways that we can accommodate each other. One of the ways is accommodate each other's needs. Think about that. The needs that we have in our lives, to do what the Bible talks about in Romans fifteen two. Each of us should please his neighbor for his good to build him up. Another version says, each one of us needs to look after the good of the people around us by asking ourselves, how can I help? You know, when you think about needs, needs take time. You know, needs take energy. And I think most of us look at ourselves and we think, you know, I don't have time and I don't have energy to meet my own needs, let alone everybody else's needs. Well, you're right. You don't have the time and the energy to meet your own needs, and you never will, because God doesn't mean it to happen that way. It's amazing. I can't meet my needs by myself, but we together can meet our needs together, and that's what the family of God, that's what the church is all about. That's the way God designed it. There are some needs in, the life, in life that the only way you can meet them is to kind of team up and to team tackle them. We are able to meet each other's needs, and that's one of the ways we accommodate each other. There's a great question in that verse, I think, that's an accommodating question. It's, how can I help? How can I help? You know, if you ever call Calvary Church, you know, uh, Beth, I know she's not here today, but, you know, hello, Calvary Church. Um, Beth speaking, how can I help you? What What a wonderful, I love that, you know, somebody wants to help me. Isn't that nice? How can I help you? You know, uh, I, I, I challenge you to use that question this week with somebody that you've never used it with. Just say, you know, I think you'll blow them, blow them away. Just ask them, "How can I help you?" And watch what God does through that simple question. We accommodate each other's needs. We also accommodate each other's ideas. You know, the Bible says in Proverbs eighteen fifteen about ideas. The heart of the discerning acquires knowledge. The ears of the wise seek it out. Another version, the intelligent man is always open to new ideas. In fact, he looks for them. You know, a lot of times you might be in a group and somebody will come up with a new idea or an old idea and sometimes your thought is when you hear this new idea, you're thinking that is the stupidest thing I've ever heard in my life. You know, have you ever thought that? That'll never work. And you got all these negative feelings about it, and yet you don't know. You don't know if it'll work or not. Maybe it didn't work two weeks ago or two years ago. You don't know if it's not going to work. That new idea might turn everything around, so you accommodate the fact that we all have different ideas, and you look at things differently, and maybe in different ways. And because of that, we're able to see life in maybe a better way. We accommodate needs and ideas, and the third thing we need to accommodate other people's personalities. Hey, we're all different, aren't we? We have different personalities. In Romans twelve six, it says, "You know, we're all different, different graces, different gifts." You know, in His kindness, He gave us different gifts, different abilities, different personalities. You know, in First Peter four ten, each of you have been blessed with one of God's many wonderful gifts to be used in the service of others, and so He made us different so that we could serve together. And there's a fourth way we have to accommodate. And this is a good one. We have to accommodate each other's faults. We don't have to compromise and say that's not wrong or this isn't wrong. But we accommodate each other's faults. And we have to do what Ephesians 4 verse 2 talks about. Be patient with each other. making allowance for each other's faults because of your love. You know, it doesn't take long. You know, if you... uh, Go to a new church or you're involved in a new group and you think, wow, these people are great. They're almost perfect. It doesn't take long to figure out that they have lots of faults, does it? The moment you figure out you're in a group of people who have a lot of faults, you have one of three choices. You can fake it and pretend we're all perfect and everything's fine around here, There's a lot of stress in that. Or you can leave it. You can leave that church. You can leave that group. You can say, I'm leaving this group, and I'm going to go find the perfect group, but you never find one because when you get there, it's not going to be perfect anymore. Did you get it? Just accept it. You know, just accept that we're not perfect. What a relief that is for so many of us. To be in a group where we recognize that, that's accommodation. The amazing thing about accommodation is that doesn't make us weaker at all. That makes us stronger. And we're not trying to face life or do it alone. We're doing it together. God never meant for you to run alone. You weren't meant to go through life by yourself. You know, you need a family. You know, you need a group. You need the body of Christ. It's the ecclesia, the church, the called out ones. We're called out from the world and brought into this new community, this new society so that we can... Serve the Lord together. You need other believers in your life to to, to help you along, to spur you on to love and good works. There's a fourth key uh, in being a team. I think it's the most important of all. And without it, you're not really a team. You're just a social club, you know. I mean, you can have trust. You can have empathy. you You can accommodate each other's needs and differences. But what makes a team is the M, the mission, to have a team, you've got to have a cause, you've got to have a purpose, you have to have a mission. Teams do not just exist for themselves. They've got a reason for breathing, a reason to exist. They are doing something together. They're making a difference in the world in some way, and that's the purpose of a team, to accomplish something together. Our mission here at Calvary is simply to know Christ and to make him known. Philippians 2.2 says, be of the same mind, Maintaining the same love, united in spirit, intent on one purpose. You know Together is better. Hebrews 10:25, let us not give up the habit of meeting t- together as some are in the habit of doing, but let us encourage one another, even more so as we see the day approaching. Let us spur one another on to love and good works. Together is better. How many have seen those giant redwood trees? In California. Remember? You know, we, did, we, we had a wedding up there one time up in Humboldt. Humboldt uh, in Eureka, Northern California. Big old redwood trees. They're some of the biggest living things on the planet, and they can grow hundreds and hundreds of feet tall, you know, like four or five hundred feet tall, and the trunks can get so big, you can cut a hole in them, and you can drive a car through the tree, I mean, they are enormous, enormous living organisms. Most people know that, that, that red, redwoods are some of the largest living things on the planet. What most people don't know is they have incredibly shallow roots. And these uh, very, very tall trees have almost no root structure. So why do they exist and why do they grow and what keeps them from falling over? Redwood trees always grow in groves. They're always together. And what they do is although their roots are shallow, they intertwine with each other, you know, and they hold each other up. So when the storms come and the winds come, they're they're holding each other up. And that's how they're some of the biggest trees in the world. And I think that's a perfect picture of what Calvary church could be. Holding each other up. Yeah, we need to have our roots go down deep into the word of God, but we need to entangle our roots with one another in a network of relationships and small groups and holding each other up through this thing called fellowship and community and you're going to have storms in your life. I guarantee it. You're going to have a storm in your life. And some of you might be in a storm right now. And you might have rough winds blowing in your life right now. And you're going to face fires and disasters in your life relationally, emotionally, financially, in every other way. And who's going to hold you up in the storm? You're going to, well, Jesus is always the right answer. But Jesus in other people, we're the body of Christ. That's how it works. And you need that intertwining. And that is a perfect picture, and that's how we stand strong together to serve the Lord together. T is for trust, E is for empathy, A is for accommodation, and M is for mission. God wants to use you on a team. I think every one of you should go out there and put your name on that list somewhere about that block party or the pop up trailer. Or call up Greta and say, hey, I want to help out with Vacation Bible School this year. Every one of us, we're in this together. Let's pray. Maybe you could pray a prayer simply like this. God, I want you to use me. Whatever I've got, any way, any time, any place, God, I want to learn to serve you by serving other people. But I want to do it in a community with others. With trust and empathy and accommodating each other. But also with a clear mission of serving you. Just to know you, Jesus. And to want to make you known. Use us to make a difference, Lord. It's in your name we pray. And we also, God, lift up this time of offering. And when we bring to you our tithes. And our gifts, Lord, to honor you, to express our love to you in this way. Lord, we know that uh, you're going to use these finances to help with the ministry of the word of God that will go out from Calvary Church through the mouths and hands and feet of all its members, serving you together for the good of others, but for the glory of God. Lord, I thank you that we can lean on your everlasting arms and we can lean on each other and we can find strength in the power of the Holy Spirit that's in all of us, Lord, who believe in your name. So Lord, show us how to intertwine our roots together so that we can stand tall for you in the midst of all kinds of weather and storms. We ask this in Jesus' name. Bless each gift and giver. Amen. Amen, Lord, we just thank you for the church. Those ones that you've called out, that have responded to the gospel and have stepped across from the kingdom of darkness into this new community, the kingdom of your beloved Son. And you've given us a mission, Lord, to go out and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything that you've commanded. And you said... You would be with us even to the very end of the age. Lord, so go with us as we serve you together. Amen.